Amen. Amen. Can I have a seat? How are we doing this morning? All right. Much better than the nine. I had one great, which didn't really sound great, to be honest. Um, so you guys came through the snow, so that means you're holier than they were. All right. Don't tell them I said that. All right. I don't know if that's true, but we'll, we'll go with that. Um, so we, uh, despite our broken TV there, um, actually, it's just a wire. I don't know if Paul told you, but hopefully we'll have that fixed by next weekend. Um, but we've been in this really short worship or uh, sermon series, and it came out of my sabbatical where I just kept, as I read scriptures, things just kept popping up the pages, same things. And that's why we call it bow, right? So we started with the B. If you were with us, you remember our rock. I'm getting sick of picking this up, even though it's fake. Excuse me, Paul. I don't want to hit you. Right? We put this here, and we said, man, when you see believe, it, it actually is a word that, yes, means to entrust and all that, but it means like a rock in the ocean, right? Like, I'm not going anywhere. Whatever winds come, whatever storms come, whatever, I'm, I'm going to believe, right? I'm going I'm to believe God today. And then we had our Jacob Marley chain last week, and this represented something that's really important, that whatever you believe right? Whatever you believe, you're not going to be able to leave it. So whatever voice you believe, regardless of what you say in church, whatever voice you believe is the voice you will obey. So whether you maybe listen to the voice of culture or subculture, right? That means within our culture, there's subcultures. That's the voices I'm always uh, believing, listening to. Those are the voices you're going to obey. So if you truly believe God, no matter what, you're going to obey God. Now we come to the W. And that, as you can see, is worship. As you believe God and obey God, you're called to worship. Now, that word, though we throw it around a lot in church, it's a word in the language that actually means, um, it doesn't always mean something religious. Often it is, of course. But, but it actually means to physically, like, get down and guys, enjoy this, all right? Because like 10 years from now, I'm not going to be doing this, all right? It's, it's getting harder and harder, right? So to actually get, maybe you've seen clips or video of people like actually physically before a king or some kind of religious ceremony to worship or to bow low. Now, Jesus said we worship in spirit and truth. And so it's not just what you do physically. This looks like a smart pose, but it's really just gearing myself up to stand up, all right? Here we go. Now, it's not just physical. It's, it's to actually say, you are above me. You are more worthy than I, okay? And it tends to bring out passion, excitement, willing to sacrifice. I don't even care if I look stupid. I don't care, right? And, and I know, I talk to other, especially guys, we're like, well, I'm more reserved. I don't really get excited like that, right? Until, well... And I know this is a little bit of, you know, caricature. There's some ladies who love football and plenty of guys who don't. But, I mean, I hate to pick on the Bills fans. Well, actually, actually I actually really love doing it, um, to be honest. But, like, it, there is a certain element within us, all of us, that are made to worship. And we can easily cross that line. And, and, and where it goes from something we really enjoy and are excited about to worshiping. I don't care what I look like. I don't care how much money I spend. I don't care how much time I spend. You, it orders my day. That's worship, right? Now I know there's some ladies nudging your husbands, so we got you covered too. We got all the eras covered. Maybe some of you remember being an Elvis fan, 
top left corner. How about Michael Jackson of the 80s? Moonwalk? No, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. Or Taylor Swift. I know. That's suddenly some, some of our teenage daughter, girls are. I, Grace, my daughter, was here last night, and she said, Dad, you can preach, but now you're meddling, so be quiet, all right? No, she didn't really say that. And, and it's fine. Like, like, whatever your era might be, and it's not just ladies, of course, guys do too, and whether it's musicians or whether it's rock stars or whether it's movie stars or sometimes it's even people in our own home, our spouses or our kids, it's when we say, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what, like, like money I spend. It doesn't matter. You're that important. That becomes worship. And the reason we all are prone to do it one way or the other, whether it's good or bad, and depending on who we're worshiping, is because God made us that way, right? To actually worship him today, all right? So what we want to see is what that looks like regardless, because everyone's days here this morning are different. You might be on the mountaintop of blessings. You might be in the valley of despair. You might be in the wilderness of weariness, and yet can we worship God today? That's our hope. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and you know where each of us are, including those joining us online this morning, or we'll listen or watch this later. You, you, you know. We're all over the place today as far as how we feel and how good or how bad or how indifferent would you show us, God? I wish you didn't have to, but you know how we are, and we need your spirit to fill us with your word of truth so that we might learn afresh what it means to worship you because you are worthy, you are holy, and you are glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So um, uh, if you're wondering, some of you uh, type A people, where are we going next? Well, we have one more. Uh, in this series. And then we have only seven weekends that lead into Resurrection Sunday. Holy Week, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to actually be doing a series um, of all of the things that Jesus said from the cross. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be great. After that, the book of James. So that's all I got for you, all right? That takes you to the summer. You're going to have to calm down with that, all right? Most of you don't care, but there's some of you who are like, yes, I'm going to get my notebook ready in James, you know? So good. Uh, so so I, I, I thought like, it's been the challenge throughout this series is like, where do you go in Scripture? Because like I said, throughout my, my sabbatical, it was like constant. Every single, like so many places in the Bible. So that's my challenge. And it's so hard for me not to go everywhere and have us be here all day. So first, like what, because I wanted to look at those three phases of life, right? And it starts with the mountaintop. What that just means is, man, you are happy, you are feeling blessed, there's something good. Like, what does that look like? And I was actually in my own reading um, this past week in my own scripture reading, and I got to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I love this story for so many reasons, but it really is David on a mountaintop of blessing right? Um, he's, he, he's king now of Israel. He, God has been so faithful to his promises. The country's doing great. They're blessed. They're winning all the wars. David is blessed. His family, like he's blessed in his family. Everything is awesome. And so David says, you know what? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant from, it's been in someone's house, which is weird. You know, I don't know how you have the Ark of the Covenant in your living room, but there you go. We're going to bring that to Jerusalem. 
Because it's the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, is not where God is only, but it's the special place that he resides where you can come and bring sacrifices and worship. It's a very holy place. And so they're going to bring it to Jerusalem. And, he get, and he's on the mountaintop. So David's just excited. He's like, God is doing great things. He's going to do more great things. We're going to bring the ark here. Everything's going to be great. And he's like, we're going to put the best band together. We're going to get everyone. Like, this is going to be the most amazing worship service. And we're going to bring him the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. Right? He even gets there and he sees that the ark is on this older cart that gets pulled by oxen. And he's like, oh, God deserves the best. We're going to get him a brand new cart to pull the ark of the covenant. And so he does, and he replaces it. Okay, and so in, in 2 Samuel 6, starting with verse 5, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. See, drums are worshipful. Well, at least cymbals are. I don't know about the rest of it, but you know. He's got the worship service going, right? Everything great. But there's going to be a problem. Uh, this, I don't know if you read, a lot of you already know the story, so you, you, you are ready for it. But if not, I had a conversation after church, after I preached this, and they were still like, I don't know, why did God do that? Right? That's the point I want you to see in this. David's on a mountaintop. He's got everyone together. We're worshiping. Here's the problem. If you, okay, separate your worship of God from believing who God really is in his word, and obeying God, it's not really worshiping God at all. It's, you know what it is? It's worshiping your own made-up version of God. Worshiping the parts of God that you like or that you wish he was. And it's very easy to do that. Even David does that right here, as we're about to see. It's kind of like if uh, you were talking or you were around when um, my wife, Heather, just starts praising her husband, which she does all the time. It's amazing. And, uh, and, she's saying, and she's like, I love my husband so much. Six, five, just cast iron abs, ruddy good looks, not a gray hair in sight, gentle and calm. Mr. Fix-It, you'd be like, who? I'd be like, you married to someone else too? Like, what is this, right? So it, it, it's, you know, silly, but like sometimes I think that's what people do. They're like worshiping the God of their own imagination because it's untethered from the God of the Bible. And so watch what happens. Everything's exciting. The music is playing. The, the, the ark is being carried in this brand new cart to Jerusalem, and something happens. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Now, Uzzah means well. He doesn't want the ark to fall. Why well, do you think that's the right thing to do? That's probably what I would do. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there, right beside the ark of God. Wow. Suddenly, the worship service is over. And David was angry. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so he left it in someone else's house for three months. Now David has the reaction that a lot of us would have. The, the conversation I had after church, like, like, I get it, but I don't get it. And I'm like, that's the point. It's because you're like, well, well, he meant well. It's not like Uzzah was like being, you know, irreligious or mocking or anything like that. He's trying to keep the ark from falling. 
So most of this is David's fault. And God could say, hey, David, it was crystal clear in my word. I mean, if you've ever read Exodus and Leviticus, like you, you, you read it's almost tedious instructions of how the ark was to be built, how the ark was to be carried and moved. There was to be poles. Only certain people could, and they are never to touch it unless certain ceremonies were, you know, uh, uh, to cleanse them. Because God is holy. And that, before you get to any places of worship, if you forget and you untether this from who God really is, you're worshiping a God of your own imagination. You're worshiping, well, my God wouldn't do it. Well, that's your God. That's not the real God. The real God gave very specific instructions. I am holy and no one who is sinful will touch me. Like, if we don't get this, this is why we, we, we sometimes uh, don't devalue the gospel. Because we think, well, that person's a pretty decent person. Why wouldn't he be allowed in heaven? Because God is holy. And he isn't. Or she isn't. That's why the cross is so profound. That's when, when was the curtain that separates us from the holiness of God torn in two? When Jesus said it's finished. Because it's by the blood of Christ you are made righteous. And that's why you and I don't have an ark we got to worry about. We can go into the holy presence of God because of Christ, and yet we can never forget how holy he is. Despite our feelings, despite what we might do, despite my, our good intentions, God is holy. Whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley or anywhere in between, God is holy. He's glory. He's righteous. He's deserving. And so... David's afraid. It's actually, I mean, I don't want you to just be cowering in fear of God, but some fear of God is good. It caused David to go, wait a minute. God is not just a genie in the bottle for me. That Ark of the Covenant isn't a good luck charm. This is God we're talking about. And so he decides three months later, because the, the house that the Ark was residing in, they were all kinds of blessings. And David's like, Let's try this again. Right? I'm not going sure to let this one family get blessed. Let's bring them to Jerusalem, but let's do it right this time. Right? And so uh, it says in verse 12, David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Odom, Edom, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. See? First of all, they bore it, right? So now we get the poles. He's doing it right. He went back to the scripture and said, oh, right, God. Maybe I should do what you say. And so, so we have that going on. And then six steps. And then he's, some think it was every six steps. Hard to know. That's a lot, but maybe it was. But what you need to remember is true worship. Whoever you're worshiping is always going to involve sacrifice. But you're not going to even see it as a sacrifice. You get with me? See, hear what I'm saying? So it's so like, like true worship. So whether you're a Bills fan and you start worshiping the Bills, you're you know, taking your shirt off in sub-zero temperatures, you're dressing up, painting your face, looking like a weirdo, you're buying all kinds of stuff, tickets, all, all that stuff, all the money, all the, and you don't care. Why? Because it's more important than my money. And, and, and so whatever it might be, so if you're truly worshiping God, there will be sacrifice. Not animal sacrifice anymore, but it will. We'll, we'll, we'll be paying money to, to the poor, to the church. We'll, we'll be giving our time, and we won't be giving our affection. It will order our day. 
and we'll barely notice because we're worshiping, because he's worthy, because he's worth it, and he's glory, and he's holy. And so they continue this. And this is, some of you know this verse, it's famous or infamous, depending on what denomination you belong to. And David danced before the Lord. I don't know what the old-fashioned Baptists used to do with this verse, but that's Old Testament. We're calmer now, I guess, right? And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the horn. The mountaintop of blessings. He's doing so much. God is so good. He's been so good to us. He's so, right? And so, so much. So like David is dancing, and that's a word that means he twirled. Like, is there anything David can't do? He'd be on Dancing with the Stars. You know it. And he'd win. He's a, he's a king. He's a warrior. He's a, a musician. And now we can see the man can dance. Right? And so should you dance in church? Well, keep it calm. But yeah, you can, you know, I do. No chicken dances or macarenas or anything like that. All right? But he, he, he's so excited and so worship can be so full of energy and passion because it shows your personality. And that's what I always say. You should worship the way your personality is. So if you're a sports fan or go to a concert and you're the type of person who goes, then that's probably what you'll do when you're excited about God. I'm not just saying in church, but anytime, right? Because that's just who you are. Don't be pretending, looking at everybody else, trying to do what they do. But if you're someone who's like, yeah, yeah, that's probably what you're going to do for God. Right? If you're like pumped up about your favorite team, but this is how you think about God. <sighs> Who are you worshiping? Really? I mean, that's how it is. It's just what your personality is. That's how it will be expressed when you're on the mountaintop. There's plenty of times of worship when it's much more subdued, which we'll see. Right? So here's one more thing before we, we move on to the next story. When you are really worshiping God, and I mean you're like, like you, you, are, you will be attacked by the enemy. I guarantee you every person who got baptized a couple weeks ago felt some type of attack, maybe in the form of criticism or someone saying that was stupid or just something because the enemy hates because baptism is an act of worship. It's saying God is good, and I'm willing to get wet in front of people, and I'm willing to give testimony, and I won't because I don't care. God is worthy, right? And so the enemy attacks. And so this happens in the form of his wife, his first wife, Michal. Michal is the daughter of Saul, and there's a lot of baggage here, and, and it just says that as he's dancing, as the ark's coming into Jerusalem, she looks out the window. Right, And she saw King David leaping and dancing for the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, there's a lot more to the story we don't have time for. But I can tell you this, that, it, that there, when you are worshiping God, especially when you're exuberant in your praise and your heart, and you're talking about, there will be criticism. There will be people, even fellow believers or churchgoers, you've got to calm down about the God thing. You've got to settle down. Right? What they're seeing in your life is a mirror. <laughs> They're not worshiping God, and they're not real happy that you are. 
And so David, she goes out and meets him, right? He's excited about God. He's excited about worshiping God. And she comes out and says, you're pathetic. You're supposed to be a king you're on robe, which he didn't really. He just didn't have his full, you know, robes on. And she's like, you're in front of all these other women. Well, she had all this criticism, and he just said, no, 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 no. I worship the Lord because the Lord is good, and I will not let criticism stop me. On the mountaintops, we worship. When the blessings are full, and maybe that's you today. That could be you're engaged and you're excited. New phase of your life. You have a baby on the way or just had a baby. You, you have a grandbaby. You, you just got a new promotion, a, a new job that's awesome. You, 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 your ministry just saw a tremendous uh, fruit, and you're just excited about what God is doing. Don't let people uh, rain on your parade. Be excited. Be excited. Let that roll up into praise and worship, right? I'm excited about who God is. I'm excited about what he's doing, and I don't care what anybody thinks because he's God and he's worth it. So whenever you are feeling the good and the happy blessings of life, enjoy them and let it roll you up into praise to the God who gave you them when it's good. So, Jamie, what happens, though, when it's not good? <laughs> In fact, what happens when it's really, really, really bad? Not just not a mountain, but a valley. A despair where it gets so dark, so hard, I can't barely see what God is doing. What do I do then? Well, here's where we turn our lonely eyes to Job. You know Job? You've heard of him at least. In chapter 1, it tells us that Job was a mountaintop guy. He was righteous for God. God blessed him. He had so much stuff. He was rich. He had so many servants because he was so rich. He had many kids who were adults now. And, and man, he just was a worshiper of our God. But the accuser comes. Told you the accuser always comes when you're on the mountaintop. And goes, hey, huh, it's one thing for Job to worship you, God, when he's on the mountain. Well, let's take him off and put him in a valley. Let's see what he does then. And so God says, go ahead. Go ahead. And so it's in chapter 1, it's just like gunshots. Before you can, like, bam, shot to the shoulder. A messenger comes. A raid has come. All of your servants are dead or gone. Before he can recover from that, boom, a shot to the belly. Oh, no. Right, another messenger. All of your stuff has been taken. You're poor. And he can barely take a breath when another messenger comes, and this time a shot right to the heart. Every one of your children are dead. What would you do then? Is that a valley? It's the deepest valley I can possibly imagine. And yet it says this in verse 20. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. So far, so good, right? I mean, that's what I would do. I would, maybe wouldn't shave my head or tear my anything. But those are public cultural displays of grief. So maybe you dress in black. Maybe you'd, you'd not wear makeup. Or maybe you'd just, like, you'd, you'd, you'd just end your tear glands. You just wouldn't have any fluid left because you cry so much. And you would probably would lose all of your energy. And you'd fall to the ground or to your bed or to your living room chair or your couch. And you just don't know what to do. So far, we can totally relate to Job's reaction. But it's after that. In that valley, what does it say he did? He worshiped. He worshipped. What? 
Think about it. He's not on the mountaintop a blessing. He's exactly what the accuser said, that he wouldn't worship him, and he does. In fact, the next verse says why. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he's saying and understanding is something that David never quite got, at least that I can tell is that my worship for God is not tied up with the blessings of God. It's all devoted to who God is. He is worthy. He is holy. He is God. Whether I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, I will worship him. I will worship him. I will look straight in the face of the enemy and say, I believe God, obey God, and that means I will worship God. Another valley, this time New Testament. This time it's in the life of Paul, the apostle. And talk about mountaintop blessings. The gospel, he's on a missionary journey. He's got people coming to Christ. Church is being formed. Baptism's happening, right? Including this pagan city called Philippi. They didn't have synagogues, let alone churches. And he's seeing all kinds of fruit, amazing stuff. And then he starts getting trailed by a slave girl. And this slave girl was known throughout Philippi because she had a demon who could tell the future. And she made a ton of cash for her master. People would go to her and get their fortunes told. Sound familiar? Some of it's trickery, some of it's real, none of it's good. Slave master, she didn't make any money. She's, you know. So because the demon knows what Paul's doing, begins to follow him around, screaming out the truth, but it's so distracting and annoying. And finally, Paul has had enough and tells not the slave girl, but the demon to get out. And the demon does. And as he exercises the demon, though, he exercises the money the demon was making for the slave girl's master. And so they're not happy. And they drag Paul and his ministry partner Silas before the magistrates, make up a bunch of stuff about an illegal religion. They form this like riot kind of thing. And this is what, what happens to them in Acts chapter 16. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Talk about a valley. I mean, they're just trying to serve God. Like literally just planting churches, driving demons out. Why, God? Why? Like, think about it. This isn't just a light tap on the wrist. This is a Roman beating. This is bruised, bloodied, broken, sometimes from within an inch of your life. This is not a friendly little don't do it again. This is barely can stand up beating that they take. But worse, they get put in the inner prison. That's the max security prison, right? That's where the worst go, where they're most secure. And archaeologists have seen, and I hope you didn't eat a big breakfast, that they have found that they used to slope them. So as the, the prisoners would go to the bathroom, it would slope downward, easier to clean up. And so if you were in the inner prison, <laughs> Not only are you bruised, not only are you broken, and not only are you bloodied, but you are in the worst imaginable filth. All for serving Jesus. <laughs> That's a valley of despair if I've ever seen it. And yet, how do they react? <laughs> a lot of you know this one. Similar to 
um, the Job story. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and they were singing. They were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Worship isn't just music. Music is a beautiful gift from God given to us to worship him. But we can also worship with words, which we call prayers of praise. We can worship with just our heartfelt just meditation on a walk through the woods when you're just feeling close to God and feeling like thinking about God. You're worshiping God, like giving testimony, baptism. Like these are worshiping God. And at midnight in the filth and in the blood and in the stocks, they're singing. And the prisoners near them take notice. Let me tell you something. When you worship God from the mountaintop, people will kind of expect that. Well, of course you're praising God. Look at all the amazing blessings. But when you worship God from the valley of despair, people will notice. They'll think you're a little nuts, but they're going to want to know why. How could you still go to church when that happened to you? How could you still pray to a God that let that? How could you worship God even in this? How? And now we give testimony. And what happened in Acts 16, of course, an earthquake, a God earthquake, just like rocks the jail. Every prisoner's free from their chains, which, by the way, is what the gospel does, not physically, spiritually. And none of them go anywhere, but the jailer, uh, he doesn't know that. And in front of his whole household, he's about to kill himself because if the Romans find out, they're going to torture him. And so he's about to kill himself, and Paul says, whoa, 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 friend, don't do that. We're all good. We're all here. Right, We're all here. And so the jailer brings him out. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. All, of course, if they believe. And they did. And what was cool is he then, the jailer was able to wash up the wounds of Paul and Silas. And then they were able to wash him in the pools of baptism a much better washing. And so what we see is the real reason any of us can worship today, whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley or wherever in between, we worship God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are able to come before him and sing and praise through tears or through laughter, through dancing or on our, on our deathbed. We can praise God because of Christ, because we believe. All who believe that's you. That's the question. Do you believe? Not, have you been a good person? Not, have you gone to church? Not, do you have the, the fanciest Bible on the block? It is, do you truly believe? If you do, you'll obey, and if you do, you will worship. You can't help it because you recognize all that God has done in Jesus. And so, whether it's Job, Paul, or Silas, we worship God in the valley. And maybe this is you today, or tomorrow, or next year. You see, valleys, looking around the room, a lot of you have seen them. Valleys tend not to sort of warn us that they're coming. They hit us hard and quick. Someone dies. A prognosis uh, from a doctor. A job loss relationship, all of a sudden something, like, they, they, they tend to, sometimes they sneak out, sometimes they warn us, but man, sometimes they're just like, boom, and you're there, and maybe that's you. So what do you do? You believe God, 
today. You worship God today. You obey God today. When you worship God in the valley, what you're doing is you're staring straight into the enemy, into the darkness, into the all that would condemn you, and you are saying, today God is worthy. Period. Yeah, but, but, no but. He's worthy. Yeah, but you're a loser. God's not. But you're a sinner, but God's a savior. But you're dirty, but God cleanses. But you're a mess, but God cleans up messes. God is worthy. You, I mean, in that grief, in that job, oh, you, you're pathetic. Oh, but God is not. And this, as Paul once said, is nothing but a light and momentary affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of the glory of God that's coming my way because of Christ. And so, maybe you can't see it right now, but you can worship. You can choose to worship through the brokenness and through the tears because of Jesus. But I didn't want to leave you because here's something that I struggle with. One last thing. I find, I don't know about you, I, I, I find it pretty easy to worship God from the mountaintop. Like I just find it pretty easy to be like, God, you're so good, man. This is awesome. I also, I don't find it easy, but I found it, find it incredibly beautiful to worship God from those valleys. Because you got nothing else. Like nothing else is going to work. You got nothing else. So you're just like, worship you. I can remember a few years ago, a number of years ago, I was raking the leaves. And I was listening to uh, a sermon. And something the pastor said, it just broke me. I just found myself on my knees weeping and worshiping. The weeping was not because I still had a lot to rake still. I did, but that wasn't why. It was because, man, there's something freeing about saying, I got nothing. <laughs> I never did. But now I realize it. Worship God. But here's the, the biggest struggle of my life, and the problem with this, it's most days. And it's what I'm going to call for this message, the wilderness. The wilderness isn't all bad, but it's certainly not all good. You see what you do have, but, man, there's so much that you don't have. And so you don't probably shouldn't be feeling grumbly today, but you do. You probably shouldn't like that. My marriage isn't as bad as that marriage, but man, it should be a lot better. My, my, my kids, they're not as bad off as those kids, but it should be a lot better. And, and, and you just, right, and here's the problem with the wilderness, which is most of our days, is we get distracted easily. We get, in a, you know, kind of one of those gloomy funks really easily. And it's hard to worship in those times. So here's, I, I, I just, I, I'm going to read some of it just kind of quickly. Um, and that is Psalm 63, and here's the title of it. In your Bibles, it says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He was physically in a wilderness, probably running from his son. Could have been Saul, we're really not sure. The point is, he writes this psalm, this song, in a physical wilderness. But it's like a metaphor for how he's feeling with God. Not completely horrible. This isn't the valley of the shadow of death, but not that completely great either, right? It, it begins this way. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, like in a wilderness where you can't find water, right? My flesh faints for you. I'm weary. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So he's feeling that way. And a lot of our days, even though maybe we shouldn't, and plenty of people tell us all the things we should feel blessed about, but we're just feeling blah. That's how I feel every winter. And some of you love the winter. It's your season, baby. This is your time. You're the people when we get that first nice day in June, you like, can't wait for sweatshirt weather. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan, all right, <laughs> with you. Move up to Canada or something. And, 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 and whether it's the weather, whether it's the, the, a situation, like you're just in that, right? Like I feel like that's how David's feeling. But he says this, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat in... I skipped one, didn't I? Yes, I'll get there. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. What he's saying there is in the wilderness, remember the mountaintops. Remember the sanctuary. Remember, because when you remember that and the worship in God, you 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 can worship them here. And then, which I had already skipped to, he says, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. What he's saying is, I'm going to praise you in the wilderness, even though there's a lot I'm not satisfied with, but I'm going to praise you as if I am satisfied. I'm hungry, but I'm praising you as if I have a full belly. I'm thirsty, but I'm praising you as if I'm swimming in a pool of fresh water. I'm, right? like, like I'm weary, but I'm praising you as if I had all the energy in the world. Why? Because you're God. And I know who you are, even if I'm not completely feeling it. In verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed, right, you can't fall asleep, and meditate on you in the, uh, the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Now, happiness. Happiness is the mountaintop. It's a good thing. I like happiness. Joy is rooted in Christ. Joy is immovable. And so when I can't sleep and the, the enemy's telling me all that I should be focused on and worried about and unsatisfied with, I will worship God. I will, in fact, this is how I wanted, this isn't the full psalm, but this is where I wanted to stop. My, this this is, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That to me, like wherever you are, most of us are here in the wilderness somewhere, right? Pretty good, eh, pretty good, like, okay, here, but can't, like, that's probably where most of us are. Some of you are in the mountains, some of you are in the valley, but wherever you are, the answer is, my soul will cling to you. I will believe you, I will obey you, and I will cling to you in worship because your right hand upholds me. And so, worship God in that wilderness. I think this is the hardest place, as I said. For me, it's a lot of Mondays. I know, most people don't like Mondays. You'd think I would like Mondays, and I usually do, but I like Mondays because they're my day off. But it's also the day the enemy says, boy, you're stupid. (laughs) That sermon, really? You worked all week for that, huh? No one really seemed to like that one. Or, you know, that didn't go well. You said that. You heard, like, all of those, not every Monday, but a lot of them. It's wildernessy. Some good that happened, but there's some stuff that I wish was better. And yet, I've learned that it's on those days more than any other, 
My soul clings to God because he's holy and he's worthy and he's glory and he's on his throne. And whatever I do or don't do or do, doesn't matter. I will worship God. I look at it as a fight. The enemy's like, yeah, I'm worshiping God. Take that. Take it. I'm worshiping God. Yeah, but you're, I don't care. I'm turning up my favorite praise song or hymn or whatever it is, and I'm worshiping God. I'm going to go on that walk in my favorite spot, and I'm going to say, God is good, even if it's freezing out. I'm going to get my you know, hand warmers, and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to open up the Psalms and the Word, and I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to worry about what I know or don't know. I'm just going to worship God. And specifically, we land worship God, today. Today. Remember? Don't worry about 10 years from now. 10 days from now. Worship him today. You wake up and you say, I'm believing God today. I'm going to believe his word today. I'm going to obey his word today. And I am going to find as many ways possible to worship God today. You do that, you're going to see some amazing things happen. If not right in the moment, in your eternal weight of glory. Because God is good. And if you have no other reason to worship because your life is kind of a mess, remember, he's still worthy. And he's still holy. And he actually invites you and me to worship him. It's a privilege. And it's an honor. Whether you're in your car, in church, by yourself, at work, at school, I'm going to worship God. And I'm going to worship him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to worship you. Lord, thank you that wherever we're at, we can worship you. In Christ, we don't have to worry about touching the ark. That we can approach your throne of grace boldly because Jesus died because his blood covers us. You have made a way where there is no way. And we can believe. Lord, I call, ask you to call anyone in this room, anyone who's watching online, anyone who sees this later, to believe that Jesus, you died for them. That you are King of kings, you're Lord of lords. You rose in victory. You're coming again. You're the only way. We would believe and then we would worship you because of that. Lord, thank you for those here who are on the mountaintop of blessing. Oh, thank you for that. I pray they would continue to heap up blessings on them and that they would roll that up into praise to you today. Lord, for those of us, many of us, me included, or somewhere in that wilderness, that you would remind us that regardless, you are good. And lastly, Lord, I, I pray for anyone who's in a valley today. Would you give them the peace that goes beyond all understanding? Would you give them a joy that blasts through any momentary happiness? Oh, Lord, give them your spirit to be able to worship you, obey you, believe you today, just today. And tomorrow, give us the strength to do it again. May your name be proclaimed, the name above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together if you can.